0: do you know what that's the most stressful thing about getting on these things it's just
1: trying to get on it you know what it's worse it's worse than a pre-reg exam you know when you do your pre-reg exam years ago i was i was more nervous waiting for you than i was doing my pre-reg exam as a pharmacist how are you i'm fine yes it's really nice to see you thanks for joining me tonight jillian um i
0: nice actually never, meet you, because I've never yes, actually met
1: nice you in to. Life. <laughs> <laughs> nice to see you. Um, I've never met you. I've, I've followed you on Instagram in particular for the last well, this year. It's really been since uh, earlier this year, and it's because of your speciality in. Not just aesthetics, but complications. For me, that's a fantastic area to be involved in. Mm -hmm. And a lot of my friends and colleagues who carry out aesthetic work around the UK and abroad, um, they're really interested in the work you do. And I think for you, this is your first Instagram Live, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, (laughs) only for you, Ben. I've done a few of them, to be honest with you, so it's not, it's not as bad as you think. Once you get used to doing it, it's not too bad. Technical problems do cause a little bit of an irritation, but once they're fixed, it's not too bad. Um, but I don't know if you've seen some of the other um, in- interviewees I've spoken to over the last few weeks. I've spoken to Tom Tom Van Eyck yesterday, last night. He was yeah. really nice. Um, yeah. I've spoken to a few other practitioners from around the UK, and they're really nice people, and... Um, You, as a pharmacist, I thought would be an interesting person to speak to because of the range of work you do and also how effective you are in in promoting pharmacists in the world of aesthetics, because I think, from my point of view, I think perhaps people don't understand the types of things we do. Um, Most We're probably thought of as the people behind the counter in pharmacies and maybe in the hospital, um, but most of the work that we do in aesthetics probably isn't understood by most people well, yeah. I'll just I'll just say hi to these people that are jogging in hi, hiya Emma I hope you're doing all right <laughs> I keep forgetting I keep forgetting to look back and find out who's watching us so apologies if I forget um, so with in terms of the work you do Gillian how, how did you start in aesthetics how did you get into the whole area of aesthetic work
0: it was actually by accident, I would say, um, because I was a hospital pharmacist at the time and had been yeah. sort of working my way up the ranks um, yeah. and had a had very much a patient-facing role. And then I went and had some Botox treatment uh, or botulinum toxin treatment
1: yeah.
0: um, and <laughs> I, start, I started speaking to the nurse that was doing it and I had no idea
1: that
0: yeah. the, the breadth of the skill involved, the different treatments that you could do. I I, I literally thought it was just, you know, you could do a bit of Botox and a bit of lip filler and she did some full face work. And I thought that was really interesting. And then over the course of a year, I sort of started speaking to her a little more about it. She also worked with me um, at the Royal Free at the time. And um, I just thought it was something that i would be really interested to do. I thought that that there was actually a lot more of a science to it than, than what people think. And Also, when I was at school, I had to give up art. Um, I did um, fine art and sculpture at school. I had to give that up to do the the science-based stuff to get into university. And I just really, it just piqued my interest. And for the first year, I probably played around a little bit with it until I thought, right, I'm sort of going to dive head on first into this because I don't know how you feel, but it's not something that you can just dip your toe in. Um, no. it's, it's not. It's not a hobby or a, or no. something you can just do on a Saturday. It's something that you have yeah. to really sort of grab hold yeah. of. So that's, yeah. really, that's really how.
1: That's how it started.
0: Yeah.
1: And how many years back was that, Gillian, when you started?
0: It's about about six years ago now. But I would say for the first year, um, it wasn't. It was sort of dipping in and out um, because the. I mean, the training. I mean, as you know we don't really get, um, we can't, yeah, the training available to us is not great. Um, yeah, and yeah. I, f- I went from training school to training school trying to build up my skill, spent a yeah. lot of money in mentorship, spent a lot of money on online subscriptions, textbooks, yeah. Um, yeah. until I really felt that I was comfortable um, yeah. and that I felt, felt competent enough to start doing the basic stuff and then building up. So yeah. I'd probably say yeah. five years seriously, but, probably
1: yeah. six and a bit years in total. Right, okay. It, it's interesting because when I, I, some people know my background, I'm a clinical pharmacist prescriber, just like yourself. I've done yeah. postgraduate work in different um, locations. At Keele University I did my clinical MSc, so I'm, I've got my master's in clinical pharmacy practice. Um, but I got into it by accident. It was actually as a result of doing a pilot uh, a pilot in the northeast of England where I'm based. And it was prior to the launch of the NHS uh, project about five years back that, that had pharmacists working across the country, working um, within GP practices, and they had small groups of practitioners, uh, pharmacists, um, that were working together um, to help each other, so I was involved in a pilot study prior to the launch of the NHS scheme, so it worked really well. It was based up in the northeast of England, and part of that work involved training as a prescriber. So I was mm. lucky to have um, a DMP who was a, a GP specialist and after finishing that work, some another pharmacist that joined the project, he said to me, "Oh this, what are you going to do now?" And I said, well, usual stuff, chronic disease management, you know, look after hypertension, hypertensive patients. And he said to me just out of the blue, why don't you look at aesthetics? And I had no idea what it was about. So yeah. did a bit of research, looked at training. And as you say, training at that time was a little bit difficult to find because a lot of training schools wouldn't take on pharmacists like they do now. And... That's one of the problems that other healthcare practitioners are facing now. Like, um, we're, we're both members of a few different Facebook groups, and one of them um, has members from the HCPC who are different healthcare providers. And they have similar problems like we used to have. So I thought this would be a good way for them to perhaps see how progress was made by people like yourself to help us become more noticed in the work that we do. So, I I got into it purely by accident. I ended up getting trained at basic level with injectables. um, And then I gradually progressed to do more advanced work, mass class work. And I I specialise now in lip augmentation and scarring problems. So,
0: that's really
1: interesting. That is really interesting. Yeah. um, I was lucky enough to get over to Norway last year and I trained with Julie Horn, who's a really nice practitioner. She's World, yeah, world lip specialist, and she she's a really nice person. She she speaks to me every so often about the work I do, and she um she was the reason I, I really was interested in lip augmentation work. And mm. the scarring, the scarring is something that I still don't find being trained in in any UK-based courses in terms of aesthetic practice, and it's something I'm looking into perhaps in the next year or two, um, but. Enough about me, let's get back to you. I can talk about, I can talk about different things all day. So, um, the types of work you do, Jillian, you you are known to me more for your academic work and for your research work, but how would you describe the different roles you have as a pharmacist, you know, for other practitioners who may be watching, might be interested in the, the range of different work that you do? How would you describe it?
0: Crazy, or <laughs> what? it's a bit mental um i I think i'm i'm just not one of these people that could just do this the same job sort of day in day out so i felt like i had to have more of that and i hate this this term but portfolio career and as things have progressed it's pivoted more around aesthetics so when i'm a clinical academic at king's college and that's really useful because i get access to every paper that i i would want to read so that's a really good thing Um, advantage to have but the good thing about that and and I I do lecture for them so I lecture on um, advanced clinical pharmacokinetics um, but also they have given me free reign to access anything within the the medical and life sciences faculty so at the moment we are doing some work on dermal fillers and dermal filler biology and I just got a bunch of box of filler from one from one of the pharmacies (laughs) and just took it to the urology professor and said I want to run, yeah. I want to do some, do some work on it. <laughs> yeah. So we're looking at um, getting PhD funding, not for me. I'll probably yeah. just um, consult on it at yeah. the university. Um, yeah. And also I've done some work around um, allergic reactions, type one and type four allergic reactions. Um, so yeah. I, I sort of, so that's my sort of clinical academic role. And that doesn't take up much yeah. of my time, but it's, um, it's a yeah. good foothold to have in that. And then I've obviously got my, aesthetics practice where I inject but I also um so although my my background was hospital pharmacy clinical pharmacy when I was pregnant with my daughter I decided that I wanted to change change practice a bit so I trained um I did my diploma in minor illness so I was mentored by GPs and um was was um it's a course led by GPs so I now do small amounts of work in the NHS um just seeing and treating um, yeah. patients to come, to come in so I like to keep my because I think that's so helpful for aesthetics because of yeah. the consultations, the assessments the pathways as well, the NHS pathways um, so yeah. I always think that that's useful to 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 keep up so that's it's kind of yeah. um, the work that I do but um, I at the moment um, I mean I read a lot of primary literature around aesthetics and I yeah. subscribe to journals and, and every month I'm reading new things that are coming out and thinking yeah. about what we don't know and and what we what we need to find out what's helpful for practice so i, I do feel like i'm at the beginning of my research yeah
1: um, and yeah. I'm,
0: I'm trying to make the most of being surrounded by proper academics at king's because i'm I mean, yeah they make me feel so stupid i mean it's a an <laughs> experience um giving them first drafts of things and they're like what is this <laughs> um so um so i feel a like at the beginning but i would just like to keep um pushing um pushing and, and trying to think of areas in which to do more research in it would be really fantastic yeah. if we could sort of harness the power of the anatomy lab and get some yeah. get some PhD work there as well. So this is just really the beginning but my main work at the moment is on as I say um dermal filler although yeah. COVID, is, yeah. COVID has meant we've got booties out of the lab,
1: yeah. which is so it's yeah. it's terrible. Yeah
0: that's a
1: pain. That's but yeah. oh, no, you, you as a pharmacist, we we train like a lot of people that are watching. I think there'll be practitioners um, from different medical backgrounds, So some some of the some of the people watching may well be um, just members of the public. They don't they won't have a full idea of the different types of work we do as pharmacists. Um, yeah. But f- from from our point of view, I, I we can go into different areas of work. And the thing with us is, we're quite lucky, and all the work we do is. Is part of our scope of practice. We're known to be able to do different things and we've trained to do them and we're regulated to do them as well. for me, I, I feel quite lucky to be in a position to be able to do these different things. And um, training makes a big difference to what you can do, and how you do it. But the education and the postgraduate work that we, we've both done um, makes a big difference to where we can move into from yeah. where we've been. Um, but I think um, in terms of the work you do, what would you say you enjoy most about all the different types of work that you do? What would, you, what would be something that, re- that you really love doing currently
0: well do you know what there, there are elements of things from everything i mean the the patient base that i have tends to be older ladies and i would say they're quite complex and yeah. they often they come to me they're a bit unhappy a bit kind of downtrodden they they know that they want to change they don't know what they want and quite often we embark on a plan that sometimes takes a year two years to achieve and we do bits of treatment every few months and then yeah when you see, when you, when you hold those images side by side, I think yes. even for me, if you look at their faces, the, the pre-image, there's like a, they're, they're sad, they're, they're, they're just, they're, I feel like they just, they've lost their shine. And then there's yeah. a visible, it's like a weight's been lifted. There's like a, a, a joy and you can see the difference in the images, even for yeah. me, but seeing their reaction and how they feel. I mean, that's just, it's priceless. Yes. Um, yes. So, so that's obviously from the injectable side of things, but yeah, yeah. I think from the research, I, I just love the fact you can you can take a question you don't know the answer to it, yeah, and you're finding out something that's completely new. So, yeah. and 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 you're doing that with with your team. So it's yeah. just that that sort of the the uncovering the knowledge base is just yeah. So, so yeah. So I, I think that's so interesting, and that's why I just like learning new things every day and i yeah. probably read about i probably read one paper a day at the moment do you right.
1: yeah. gosh no. you're busy you're busy okay. all, the, all the types of work you do i think it's re, it's been really useful for other aesthetic practitioners who look at the range of practitioners doing different types of work and so you 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 highlight how how effective pharmacists are in the in the world of aesthetics. That's what I think, and I've I've followed you and I look at your posts. and The interesting thing is they're all practically useful for people that that work in the aesthetics industry. Some parts of the aesthetic industry, like um, drug companies, might have a few questions and they might be a bit scared of what you say and what you do. But I think. In terms of the actual complications that you're looking into, and the dermal filler issues, the long-term problems, yeah. I think that's a benefit for a lot of practitioners around the UK and around the world as well. Um, but do you think what you're doing gives a good insight into what pharmacists are capable of, of, of doing in the in the world of aesthetics? I I think it is. I think what you're doing is fantastic.
0: Yeah, I think I think what people d- what people I think don't understand about pharmacists is it's a it's a split degree, so you it's it's part science, and then it's part sort of healthcare vocational. So yeah. you can evolve yourself as a scientist, but you can also evolve yourself as a as a healthcare professional as well, seeing and treating patients. And yeah. I think what um, and I will answer your question in a minute, Viv, but I just want to give a bit of this. <laughs> um, I think. There's an issue because around the world, allied health professionals do very different things in different countries. Yeah. So I think someone in America will probably look and say, what the hell is a pharmacist doing injecting someone's face? Yeah. So yeah. um, but then physicians associates in America are, are highly regarded. And here yeah. we don't really quite understand the gamut of their role. It's very new. And yeah. even the, the, the educational standards are not really f- that firmed up yet. So, yeah. so in the UK, because um, we are in a situation where we are with the NHS, um, the, all the healthcare professionals, the roles have had to evolve. So, um, wh- so we've had to. We're much more patient-facing, and postgraduate training is yeah. um, is, is quite significant. So, you've got pharmacists, paramedics, physios, yeah. um, ODPs doing a lot of roles that, like, you probably wouldn't get in other, other countries. So I think yeah. that people don't really understand what we do. Yeah. And I think that um, what I've done, because I set up the Medicines and Aesthetic Forum as well, and um, obviously I was part of ACE, but nothing I've done has really been deliberate. It's not been like, right, I'm just going to do this. because yeah. <laughs> it's, um, it's because I did get a lot of knockbacks. I got a lot of negativity. And, yeah. But I kept seeing this need for... Um, like it was it was a need for knowledge and it was a gap that we filled it was like this person's got this comorbidity this person's on this medication oh yeah can can i buy this demo filler from this company is you know can this pharmacy and i'm thinking that's not even a pharmacy because they don't know the difference between like a wholesaler and a pharmacy Um, and and then it's like the biology of the products Um, and we we study biology as undergraduates so nobody asks us nobody (laughs) asked Nobody, everyone just keeps, tell, keeps saying to us, you know, on your bike. But actually, we've, there's like so much knowledge that we have to offer. So yeah. I actually um, started doing this because I thought there's a void. There's a yeah. void that needs to be filled and we can fill this. So yeah. um, that was really the the aim. And um, I didn't, um, you know, I, I, just, I just sort of built on that work. And then um, it was a nice sort of, I think, um, side effect.
1: the <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> Where, um so pe- so people just sort of um, approached me for things, and and I felt like I was gaining a, li- a little bit of respect, and people were actually yeah. like, "Oh, you, you know, you kind of do know what you're talking about." Um, yeah. So yeah. so I think it was just a nice side effect that um, that that happened. But I, I would like to think that what I'm doing does show that we have a real breadth of a breadth of knowledge and and a good skill base. Yeah, so, yeah.
1: No, that, that's good. It's just I, I find it. I find it interesting to find out what other people are doing in the world of aesthetics. Practitioners, nurses, doctors, pharmacists, paramedics, um, and I think it, it's interesting for for different people to see just what we do and how we've got to that position of being able to do it now. Um, in terms, in terms of the work you do with your knowledge and with your with your experience of working in different areas of pharmacy practice, would you would you recommend aesthetics to perhaps a pharmacist that might be considering it as a role in future? What would you say to someone that might be thinking about it? The, f-
0: the first thing I would say is that you need. First of all, you need to be a prescriber. I really feel strongly that you need that to protect you and the patient. Um, working with complications, it's you know you we've been called up and we've had to intervene on on things and and the prescriber's nowhere to be seen and and the practitioner's distraught and it's just you know it's um so i would say number one be a prescriber um and number two i i don't think it's something you should be doing right from qualifying yeah Um. i I think you need a level of maturity professional maturity um All around the consultation and and assessing patients. I spoke to someone recently because I I was asked to do some mentorship work um, for some final year pharmacists. And I sort of walked them through the scenario. You have someone come in. Their husband might have just left them. They might not be emotionally that stable. You're having to have a consultation with them. They're vulnerable. And then you're sort of, you, you might come to a point where you want to treat them you know, you have to put them on the bed. You're sort of working in, in any septic conditions. You're having to inject them. What happens if they faint on you? What happens if yeah. you have a problem after it? And they're ringing yeah. you up, and they're and they're worried. They're anxious. Are you really equipped to do that from the minute you qualify? And I think that really applies yeah. to any yeah. um, healthcare profession. So I think, I think it's it's rewarding, but I think you need to be a prescriber, have a few years under your belt, um, yeah. and also, um, I think you have to. You have to go into it wholeheartedly and commit yeah. to it. I don't think yeah. really dipping your toes in a, is an option. That's what I would. Yeah. That's what I probably say.
1: Yeah. No, that's good. It's it's just um, I, I agree with you completely. In my experience, I'm I'm a little older than you. I think, Jillian. Uh, I'm fifty. I'll I'm be 50, fifty-one in January. I've been Forty-eight so. months. Ugh. Oh. <laughs> you don't look that old. You don't look anywhere near that old. But um, in, t- in terms of in terms of the work we do, I think there's there's other healthcare practitioners that are interested, and I think um, somebody's just joined Camille from Secret um, Secret Enhancements. I know Camille. She's a really nice. ODP and. She's done a lot of work to try and look at the scope of practice that ODPs have. And um, she's she's done a lot of work over the last two years, I think, trying to, find, trying to produce guidelines to yeah. show what ODPs can do in terms of aesthetic practice. And I think she's trying to sort out with the HCPC how they can look at um, ODP aesthetic work and regulate it just like... Yeah. Um, our gphc regulators so i think she's done really well and hopefully that will help other um yeah. healthcare practitioners become um noticed for the work they do and be regulated for it which is one of the things that um is an issue i think with um with with cmac i think there was a reason specifically that you, that they wanted to um, work on regulated work with regulated professionals and we'll, we'll go into different areas of, of that later um but in terms of covid covid has been a big problem this year as i'm sure it has for you as, as everyone mm-hmm. um has it made a big difference to your abilities to work in terms of your research work and your academic work has it played a big, yeah. effect, had a big effect on that
0: it's affected everything because they've closed the universities down um, and also, so, cause obviously so I do the research at the university and we, it's lab based work, so we couldn't get in the yeah. lab. So what we've had to do is we've done a literature a critical appraisal of all the current studies that have looked at dermal filariology and we've critiqued all the techniques used and poked holes mm-hmm. in them and, and we're, we're formulating, um, what the next step of our research will be, which is actually to do the, the different types of, um, experiments ourselves sort of thing but so that's that's, it's changed what we've the the sort of trajectory that we were on so we've had to do a review paper first um and then with um now with cmac we are trying to we want to gather data because there's there's really no data for the uk nothing yeah yeah and and you need data to inform guidance and uh, and also um there's so a lot of things that we don't know from a diagnostic perspective, especially around things like delayed onset nodules and, and stuff. So yeah. we really want to start um gathering data on that. And and if COVID keeps going the way it is, then, yeah. then that'll obviously grind a bit of a halt because we just won't have the data because people just won't be yeah. So yeah. um I don't know what's gonna happen with that, but it's um I'm really sorry for for to all of us because of we're, we're, yeah. Like, like it's hanging by a thread, can be practice. It's, it's just it's, yes, it's,
1: it's has been difficult. It has been difficult, but I think if you've got a plan as to what you will be doing, hopefully over the next year, then data from research that you will be carrying out, looking at filariology, um, will be really interesting to see. Because I'm I'm really looking forward to your results, jillian um, because I think it will play a big role in what practitioners think about the fillers that they use because we we are experts in medication that's what we're trained to to work with medication and everything that goes around the use of medication and as, as other practitioners may well know, fillers are classed as um, devices. They're not classed as medicines, classed as, as, as de- medical devices. But there's still a need to understand exactly what the outcome of using a particular product will be for the patient. Um, as I've spoken to you about this before, you get to speak to practitioners and you hear a lot about things like, oh, it's a premium filler. And I've had this conversation with you online, you know, about people saying, I only use premium fillers. I don't use that rubbish over there. It might be, um, it might have a CE mark on it, but it's complete rubbish. Now, you and me, we, we'd look at the actual evidence behind a filler being premium or not premium. And yes. there's certain things you can do to assess it. And I don't want to go have a go at a dermal filler company. I've got nothing against them. But what I do have something against is call, thinking of a product in a certain way based on certain things that the drug company might produce. Now, we assess data, we critique data. I, I critique data. I'm trained to do it, as I'm sure you are. Now, if we critiqued dermal filler data, we could really wreck a lot of evidence that oh, drug gosh. companies produce. Yeah, yeah. It would be very I easy for us. Athlete, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know what
0: but, but when I hear that I call it just absolute flannel, and I'm just thinking, yes, oh, it's such a lo-. I think what, what people need to realise, um, I'm going to sorry, I'm going to go into rant mode here, but yeah,
1: no, I I rant as well, so don't worry.
0: So, so I mean, because they're not drugs, if, if they were drugs, there would be quite strict criteria what companies what companies can and cannot say. Yeah. Because they're not drugs, and because their devices, all bets are off, so they can claim whatever they want to claim. They don't even have to give you the full. They don't even have to give you all the information. So yeah. as far as, so everything that I hear, I always pass it off as spiel, un- unless I yeah. know otherwise. <laughs> and looking at the, the work that's been done, the, the yeah. head-to-head work that's been done on dermal fillers, like a lot of it isn't worth the paper it's printed on, to be quite honest. Yeah. Yeah. Um, even really basic, basic fundamental things, like if, uh, just for people that don't know, so a lot of the filler work, what they've done is they've taken the syringe and they've squished it in between two plates, And then they've oscillated the plates and passed the frequency through it. And then they've said, right, these are all the parameters of of the filler. And I'm thinking, right, well, how does that equate to when you put the filler in the face, though? Because number one, the filler hydrates. Number two, it's 37 degrees. And as you know, Viv, the the temperature does matter. It changes the chemical structure. So, So to me, I'm thinking, well, that's not really relatable to what happens when you put it in the tissues. Yeah and, then, yeah. and then I'm thinking, well, what happens now as the, the filler ages in the tissue, as it starts yeah. to break down, becomes more hydrated, subjected to shearing forces? Yeah. Yeah. So we don't really have in-situ data. So yeah. it's like, so, so so wild claims about these, these these filler products and how they do this and yeah. they're wonderful how they do that. I'm just thinking we just don't know enough. We just yeah. not know
1: enough. Things things like you've mentioned in some of your posts is the long term effects of, of fillers. There's been a lot of work to do with radiological studies looking at um, data from patients over a period of time. So you can see you get reps, not nothing against reps, but you see reps and they say to you that filler will last oh that'll last a good eight to twelve months okay, fine, um, it's better than this filler because that filler only lasts three or four months. But when you look at the actual real data behind the use of fillers, a lot of fillers last for years and years and years and the evidence is only being evaluated now based on radiological studies, based on radiology. Um, and yeah, I'm sure you've, you, you're looking into that as t- in terms of long-term problems.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I do, I am familiar because there's a, there's a chap in Australia called Mobin Masters and then there's a guy um, that's doing more work over in the US called Steve Weiner, but he was trained by I think a company in, in the Netherlands and there's a doctor, Leone I want to say Schenkel, um, so she's I think she's, she's done a lot of um, she's a PhD, she's done a lot of work, work on this so they're saying yeah. that I think it's like up to eight years, some of the fillers are yeah. fillers still in situ and that really yeah. doesn't surprise me because there's other, there's other studies as well showing that immunotherapy um yeah. for oncology patients yeah so they've had like maybe their best cancer they've had some some treatment and all the filler areas from eight years previous have lit up like yeah. hot spots delayed yeah. onset yeah. nodules so um and- so it is lasting a lot longer so um but then again because they're not drugs the post-marketing surveillance isn't the same so yeah. Yeah. so really it's so but, but it, then aesthetics is i think still quite new if you speak to people that started out you know 18 years ago like obviously yeah. I worked closely with like Lee Walker and Emma Davies and yeah. um, it was very different then and yeah. the evidence base now is like going like this so yeah. I think it's very yeah. interesting for aesthetics at the moment because the amount of research that's getting pumped out is is starting to increase but I think yeah. with the fillers, we just don't know enough and I am um, because I've worked with drug companies you know yeah. around medicines before and I know how much you can um, input bias and sway some of the, some of even the the sort of yeah. really randomized control studies that these yeah. are sort of grade five pieces of evidence. I just yeah. it's, I would rather take the word of someone who had who was experienced and yeah. had used two different dermal filler com- or yeah. brands, yeah. and yeah. I would rather take their word as to how it performs in the tissue because that yeah. to me is yeah. more reliable. Yeah, because um, yeah. basically the, everything's consistent apart from. the, from the dermal filler so so i think it's it's yeah i think there's a lot of of work still to be done on dermal fillers
1: there is it's it's an interesting area because um dermal fillers are used massively all around the the world and um use is only uh, only increasing it's not going down it's getting it's more and more people are using fillers um but the things like calling a filler a premium product it does get on my nerves a lot because um there needs to be some definition of premium, what is classed as premium. And there's a lot of drug companies that make fillers, there's the big boys, there's smaller companies all around the world that make dermal fillers. Um, But in terms of aesthetic practice, yours, I'm sure as well as mine and everyone else's, main concern is safety for the patient. But if you're really bothered about safety, you'd look at the safety aspect of one filler compared to another. You wouldn't look at the marketing, funding that goes into advertising a product you wouldn't look at how how popular that brand is what you would really look at is how susceptible is that filler to prob- problems in future so injecting one filler into an artery does that make it safer for, in some way compared to injecting another filler
0: do you know what can i can i say something on that because we um first of all there's zero data on any of this so although yeah. people can anecdotally say um, and there's always been a lot of um, sort of people saying, oh, the Vicross range, et cetera, et, yeah. et cetera, and all that sort of thing. We, ha- we don't have the data. So we, yeah. we don't know, and we can't say that. We can't say that for sure until we have that, yeah. that data. The, the other thing is that um, we, do, we do see, and with vascular occlusions, there is one particular filler brand that we have had a few issues with dissolving. And what's happened is when there's been an occlusion yeah. um and there's been highly how you a days now um, yeah. to dissolve it yeah. there's then been movement of that emboli further down yeah. the arterial tract so for example yeah. it started life off as a, as a lip occlusion there was a bit of reticulation yeah. that resolved next thing you know the tip of the nose is starting yeah. to become reticulated so that's moved up the columellar vessels so it's, mm. it's not broken down completely but yeah. then there are other variables was the person massaging it enough were they yeah. dilating it what else was it what else is at play is it yeah. that people that are starting out are are using this particular filler and yeah. maybe not yeah. um and, and maybe not as um yeah. sort of experienced and, and, diso- and yeah diso- so it's like yeah. so we just don't we just yeah we just don't know and i think as you say there's no definition for premium other really than, than yeah. price but i do i would say though that um what I think if a product is is made in the EU or yeah. um, within America, then I feel quite comfortable with that. Cause I know that it's subject to the same, um, the same. whatchamacallit um
1: call it? Um, the, the assessment process, the yeah, way yeah, of yeah. testing, yeah. And checking. Yes, all that process yeah, is the yeah. same. But yeah. for
0: the Korean fillers I'm I'm less sure of that. Um, at yeah. the moment, there's actually a, a big. Do you know about the the court case that went on between is it jovo and um, Botox Allergan Botox?
1: Oh right, no, no, was that? Um, um...
0: It was. Now let me get this right. So juvo probably pronouncing it wrong, um, is made by yeah. a company called Meditox over in in Korea, but or right. the other way around? Anyway, it, there was some sort yeah. of thing around because. Allergan, whatever product, is also made in yeah. Korea, and then somebody from one company stole the recipe from uh, right. it's Botox, like, and like, yeah. it's all gone a bit crazy. Yeah. Um, but I think the thing is, um, Revlax, for example, um, so if you look at the patent for Revlax, it's got the chemical structure, and I know some people have mentioned this before, and they talk about um, uh, a compound called arsenic acid that's in the molecule. Do you know about this? No, Revlax. no, I mean, uh, no. right so so there's arsenic acid in the yeah. in the molecule so you've got like these um chains of hyaluronic acid and then inside yeah. you've got yeah. arsenic acid and if you look at the structure of arsenic acid it's all yeah. benzene rings so it's right. really hydrophobic so yeah. i was kind of thinking if you if you put that in the tissue this is just yeah. me thinking i don't know that i'm yeah. just thinking from a first principles basis if you hydrate yeah. that hyaluronic yeah. acid it's going to force those or acid molecules towards the inside and it's going to pull, yeah. the, pull the structure yeah. together. So I'm thinking surely that must feel really firm in the tissue. It must like, yeah. really, really become very, very yeah.
1: safe. Yeah.
0: And yet, but is that an advantage for some things? I don't know. Is it yeah. a disadvantage in some t- tissue planes? That,
1: that, that hasn't been tested in in situ. That hasn't been tested in real yeah. life, has it? Yeah. That's the problem. Um
0: and, and and that could be we don't
1: know what's in what's in these other yeah. products. Yeah, no, it's it's difficult. It's difficult, but I think the work you do should help to find to give to give more knowledgeable advice to practitioners to help them decide on improving safety and reducing the risk of long term complications because of the work you'll hopefully be doing over the next few years. Um, but I think there was a few few mentions about healthcare practitioners. We're both pharmacists. Um, some, somebody mentioned about the fact that they get annoyed with everyone in in the media mentioning about getting aesthetic work from either a doctor, a dentist, or a nurse. No mention of other healthcare practitioners. Um, what's your view of that? What do you think about about the general um, advertising of of aesthetic? Pr- aesthetic treatments by medics, but not including anyone other than doctors, dentists, or nurses. What do you think of that? Your personal view. Not anyone else's view, your view.
0: Um, well, I think, first of all, in my view, doctors are the only ones that are medics. That's, that's just my yeah. personal view. Yeah. Anyway. Um, and I... It, I'll, I'll just be completely honest with you. See if a doctor yeah. said, I think doctors should only be doing it, then I'd be like, yeah, yeah I mean, I can, I can kind of see... Um, we are coming from in that, but we are in a situation where um other healthcare professionals can practice what particularly um does irritate me and um this is this is this is not this is not <laughs> playing one off against the other because um but it's the logic this i'm just saying this to to explain why i don't understand the logic yeah. so um so i was a i'm an aCP an advanced clinical practitioner i work yeah. um some of my clinics would be interchangeable with an advanced nurse practitioner for example yeah. um yeah. and but i was working at an hc level and it was it was, a, it was clinically facing yeah. so um what i think is bizarre is that if i'm and then i'm tagging in for an advanced nurse practitioner but someone's yeah. saying you can't practice but a band like a, a newly qualified nurse could for example and yeah. my mum's a yeah. nurse and some of my, my yeah. friends are nurses so what i'm just using that as an example because i want to just explain why i don't understand the logic yeah um, so so that is so that has kind of i guess irritated me slightly and i and yeah, i do yeah. and, and i will support anyone I, I, I have given advice and supported and helped and helped people, whether they've been a doctor dentist nurse um yeah. you know physio, whatever um yeah. so so it is, yeah. it is a bit irritating but um I think that I stopped becoming irritated by it quite soon yeah, yeah. into yeah. Um, i was um i was Bodily removed from a conference. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, mind my own business. I went in, I was yeah. in one of those like enclosed um, off sections, and I went yeah. in, and security removed me because I was a pharmacist. I was like, I thought this is. I was absolutely <laughs> mortified, totally mortified. And then I went on the pharmacy Facebook group, and uh, another yeah. people had been like refused entry and stuff. And I was yeah. like, what have I done? This is like in public yeah. enemy number one. Um, that.
1: That's a whole issue, you see. This, this is, What you're talking about there is something that, that has been a problem over the last four or five years in particular, especially when I started. And it still is to some degree now. That's still a problem for us as pharmacists. But other practitioners like um paramedics like ODPs they've got the same problem that we had about five years ago that's how I see it now do you do you think based on what you've talked about our speciality and what we can really concentrate on in terms of aesthetic work if those practitioners did the same thing do you think that would help them in terms of recognition and being more able uh, so as yeah, practitioners a couple
0: of things, um there's a couple of things um just on reflection Um i think from from my experience people tend if people are saying no to you then they tend yeah. to fall into kind of well there's probably three camps i think um i think yeah. that the first one is people sometimes just don't don't want to widen the net and, and the yeah. whole political thing and they're just like no, and these people they're just you can't reason. So yes. what's the point? Like, you know, what's the like why would like what's the point? Then there's people yeah. that um don't understand the enhanced roles. So yeah. um like there's a nurse that I have fantastic respect for. I think she's an incredible, incredible practitioner. She's been been doing it for years. Her experience was in private hospitals and then in yeah. aesthetics. She's never worked in the NHS or hasn't worked in the NHS for right. over 20 years. So her understanding of what we do is kind of yeah. helps. Now, yeah. if that's all I did, I would yeah. not. To tell you now, I wouldn't be touching somebody's face. <laughs> so I completely respect and understand where yeah. her perspective lies. I can't get yeah. annoyed with that because yeah. that's her yeah. understanding. So yeah. so, there, so there's people that they just don't understand, right? And yeah. they don't know what the background is. There may be people that... Um, because the situation around certain professions is a bit vague, right? Yeah. And some people, like what we were trying to do with CMAC, we're trying to basically draw a line yeah. and think about objective criteria, take the yeah. subjectivity out of it. Yeah. And one of the things was that the, that we wanted the regulator to regulate that practice because we felt that was safe. Yeah. So, so, um, so, then, so, so that's a situation where things are a little bit grey. Um, and yeah. we made a decision um, against an objective criteria. Now, what I would say, what I thought, well, when I first came into aesthetics, there was a lot of pharmacists that were quite sort of irritated irritated by this whole thing. Sophie Riddle has done a fantastic job, by the way. If it wasn't for her, I don't think we would be where we are today. I just want to say that she is like, I mean, she has done such a fantastic job. but. When I approached people and wrote to people, I did it in a way that I always gave them the benefit of the doubt, as in they maybe just don't understand. I wasn't passive aggressive with it. I just sort of explained rationally. I gave a bit of my background. I asked nicely and I sort of um, just just wrote them a nice letter and sort of no pressure, but just trying to educate them in a a nice way. And people responded really well to me. And I've got to say that nine times out of ten, either said yeah well actually jillian i can see what you've done and actually yeah "Yeah, we'll make an exception you can come on come on the training or or whatever it's when you get angry and you and you um you sort of it's like it's almost like because it's so frustrating for them i completely understand but it's like when you say no you must do this and because we're and then people are just like yeah what So, so 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 i would say that um You've 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 sort of got to understand the background of where people are people are coming from. Yeah. You may know what you do. You may live it and breathe it and yeah. understand and, and know that you're good at what you do, etc. But other people don't know don't know that. Yeah. So yeah. so it's so it's about it's about taking it forward in the right way. And there has been, you know, before my time, there have been some pharmacists that did do things kind of the wrong way and yeah. caused some you, well, you know like difficulties for us. Um, yes. So, so I would say that just you know, I think just being kind of calm about it, rational and sort yeah. of respectful of it, and if people say no to it, they're going to say no anyway. Yeah, you know? Yeah. And and if yeah. you keep getting hung up on this, it's just yeah. gonna it's gonna overtake everything. Whereas really, it's I I just think it's really it's frustrating. But I think having yeah. had it for six years now, I'm just like I'm kind of over it.
1: Yeah. No, I, I understand completely. It, it is frustrating to be in that position. But if you if you work through it and you can show what you're capable of doing, I think it does work yeah. in, in your favour. But you've got to work together to do it for everyone's benefit. And I think it, it hopefully will help other practitioners um, get to the position we're, we're in from where we've been, you know, over the last five years. And I think Sophie's done really well. And she's mm-hmm. based at the Cottesloe Clinic, I think it is. And uh, she's really nice. Sophie. Um, but yeah, you know, we, we've been talking about 50-odd minutes already, Julian. Uh, so I was, I was going to look at future, future plans. What, um, what plans do you have over the next year or so, would you say, in terms of work?
0: Well, you know, there's one thing that I cannot tell you, and it's so, it's so frustrating. <laughs> um,
1: you can't tell me.
0: I can't. No, I actually can't. I actually can't. It's, it's, unfortunately, it's not just me that's involved. Um, right. there are there there are basically a team of us um, and it's something that's going to be really exciting and that's coming out in the new year and we've done it in collaboration with right. the world society of public health um yeah. and one of the regulators so so that's going to come out in the new year but okay. um, but i also i mean i don't i don't train i don't do any training and um, people do ask me for training and i was going to do i was going to do a something around medicines and, and dermal fillers yeah. and aesthetics and I yeah. had written the curriculum for that. Yeah. But everyone just keeps asking me for complications training. Um, the thing
1: is, I've said to you, you're, you're, you would do very, very well in producing your own complications course, you know, dermal filler complications course, because a lot of the work that people need to know isn't provided in training or not effectively. Very basic information in terms of complications and for you to run a complications course in terms of dermal fillings you would do really well I think Gillian
0: well I mean obviously over the past couple of months I mean with lockdown I've had ample time to think about it (laughs) Um, I would like to do something um, around um, etiology and risk assessing patients right the way through the complication process the treatment the management the follow-up I think yeah. if I was to write something it would have to be different I don't want to do something that other people have done so yeah. it, I think it would be a kind of all singing all dancing and then yeah. with a focus on cases because, it, yeah. because yeah. from my experience um, you know because I'm obviously working in university and I write courses yeah. there's no point in just giving people knowledge you have to, no. teach how to apply that knowledge um, yeah. and yeah. I think I've now built up quite a, a catalogue of complications and how they've resolved just over the past couple of years so um so I will do I will do something um and I've actually I've started writing it already so I will I will do that so probably I think complications will come out first and then I'd like to do something around either preparing for prescribing so um and I think that will help people doing prescribing or I've done it and want Mm -hmm. to change scopes or even doctors and dentists um, and yeah because we use a lot of medicines. Um, yeah, there's well there's no there's no
1: training there's no current training for aesthetic prescribers. Do you know what I mean? We we do CPD, we do um, revalidation every year with the GPHC. But in terms of practice in terms of um, C- CPD as a prescriber, there isn't particularly tra- particular training available for us to do, and I, I just find that odd. We we do it off our own backs based on what we think we need, but there isn't any specific plan we follow to do that.
0: Well, do you know, know what, what I mean? Yeah, and do you know what the one thing that really bugs me the most is this use of antihistamines for delayed onset yeah. and for post tra- just trauma. I mean, yeah, yeah. it's not the, the, the injection trauma is not histamine mediated, so I'm um, yeah. it's like so it's even real basics. Um, yeah, and also it is I mean, that's another thing. Yeah. Skin testing. That-
1: like, we, we could talk about that in a whole hour on its own.
0: <laughs> I I've looked at every single case of yeah. um, allergy in the literature, every single one of them, and a yeah. lot of them are type 4. They're not yeah. type 1 linked to yeah. anaphylaxis. So it's yeah. just... It's, um,
1: it's inter-
0: so much to go. It'd,
1: it'd be interesting to it'd be interesting to talk just about hyaluronides, you know, in a future um, uh, live. I think there'll be yeah. a lot of people interested in hyaluronides, and there's information available from different sources about it, but very little of it is evidence based, or it, there's very little practical assessment of what people are saying that can be used in practical in, in a practical situation and i think Hail your um advice and information would would go down very well with a lot of practitioners i think julian yeah i don't have we got are we gonna get cut off
0: at an hour then does it cut you off automatically we've got about
1: five minutes yeah we've got about five minutes i've got i was got. i've got a few more questions to ask you not a lot don't worry not a lot um <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, but, um, but yeah, tra- training as well, myself and Claire, um, Claire's a paramedic from Butterfly Aesthetics, we'll hopefully be producing our own training in the new yes. year to do with lip augmentation, we both specialise in it, and we'll, we'll hopefully we might be able to work with you in terms of complications and using yeah. something from you to help practitioners train more effectively okay. in carrying out lip augmentation and looking at the problems with it as well. But I'll go on to the last bit, but it's been really good talking to you so far, but I've got about five minutes. I've got some questions, and these questions are probably questions you'll never get asked by any other aesthetic practitioner ever again. But I thought I'll ask you anyway, just for fun. <laughs> so I've got, I've, got, I've got a series of questions. You just need to give me a short answer, a yes or a no, or a short answer to them. Okay. So whatever whatever comes into your head first, Gillian, is that all right?
0: I'm nervous. Okay, go.
1: will <laughs> be fine. Right. First question: Do you like haggis? Yes. Do you? Okay. okay. Where is the last place on earth you'd ever want to go?
0: The Outer Hebrides. Outer. I thought you'd
1: say that. I
0: actually thought you'd
1: say that. Do Do you believe in Santa Claus? Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. That. Yeah. <laughs> I had to make that, I had to reverse it so you could read it, Julian. so you're a good girl.
0: I can just see that Adam's just tuned in from Skinfinity, he's probably wondering what the heck are we
1: doing? (laughs) (laughs) He can can watch it back and he can have a good laugh afterwards. Hi Adam. (laughs) Another question for you, have you ever fallen asleep during a conference?
0: No, I actually haven't. (laughs) I just think I haven't been to enough. (laughs)
1: <laughs> no, you probably haven't been to enough if you haven't fallen asleep, no, okay then, that's fair enough. Um, if you could change one thing, anything, what would it be? You can change one thing, what What one thing would you want to change? It could be anything.
0: Oh gosh, well it has to be COVID. I like, what? That's a good
1: answer. Um, what's your favourite song, Gillian?
0: Oh, I've got too many. Um, see, I love Fleetwood Mac, Big Love, I love ACDC, um, <laughs> right. the title's a bit unfortunate, I'm not going to say the title. Um, That's okay. Um, Ryan okay. Adams, either, Yeah, I, not Ryan, Ryan, no. Ryan no, Adams, right. Too many, too many. Oh.
1: Number, of, number of bands, no problem. Um, tell me one surprising fact about yourself. Anything, With anything.
0: I'm grade seven in piano.
1: Are you? <laughs> You'll have to do a live concert with yourself playing a playing playing a few songs.
0: I wouldn't suggest <laughs> people.
1: <laughs> What's the most embarrassing thing you've ever said?
0: Oh, I, know. I think pr- probably lots when I was drunk. I don't know. Uh,
1: oh, that that's fair enough. Something that's on your range, That one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you, do you, you've answered this, do you play a musical instrument?
0: So I play, I play piano and I play guitar.
1: Right, okay. I'm a quarter,
0: it doesn't everyone. I'm a fan leader.
1: You're very talented, you're very talented. Um, have you ever had to try not to laugh during a consultation?
0: Well, do you know what? <laughs> I do laugh, like, I've been I such a good, my patients are just such great value, we, we do yeah. we laugh a lot, so I um, yeah. see sort of that the laughter is appropriate, I, I don't yeah. think I've, I've had I've had to, no, I've never inappropriately laughed, no. Right,
1: but you've, you've done it in a nice way, you've yeah. done it nicely, yeah. <laughs> right, what do you wish people would stop asking you, what do people always ask you, what do you wish they'd stop asking you?
0: Are you Irish? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Interestingly, like, and, and like Cormac, in yeah. Way, he's Irish, but he always gets asked if he's Scottish, which. Is Does like, he? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> you two will have to do a live together sometime. That'd be funny.
0: He'd be like, potato, and I'd be like, haggis. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Another question Do you follow your brain over your heart, or do you follow your heart over your brain?
0: Oh, it depends on the situation. I've done yeah. It.
1: You've done, yeah, would, you say, <laughs> would you say you base it on feeling first, and then you try and justify it with with what your brain's telling you, or, or do you do it the other way around?
0: I see. I've done all that that kind of analysis stuff, I, and and I'm like a complete mixture. So there's some things yeah. that I'm and some things that I'm a complete blue. So I'm very logic focused. So I'm I'm like a mix. Depends. That's
1: fine. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> Last question: What are you most proud of, Jillian?
0: Birthing
1: a child into the world in one piece. <laughs> <laughs> one piece. That's fair. Yeah, one piece. <laughs> that's fair enough. That's that was it. That's all the questions I had for you. I've, I've rushed it a little bit because we've spoken for so long about earlier bits and pieces. But it's been really nice talking to you, yeah. and I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope it hope it wasn't too stressful for you, Julian. No,
0: I think as I say, it was just stressful getting on the thing. But um, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: No, it was really kind of you to join me. And I'm really happy to to have been able to speak to you. So hopefully, um, hopefully we may may well do this again in future sometime. Talking about another topic, um, yeah, but we could have a Sunday
0: we, session with Viv and Jill. That would be like on, on the. Yeah. <laughs>
1: The thing is, we could talk about anything, and I'm sure we get we get people watching if it was an interesting subject. So, <laughs> that, thanks a lot for joining me, and um, we the video will be up live. It'll be up as a recording later on after after we yeah. finish. So, if anybody wants to watch it, it'll be available. Um, but thanks again, and I hope um, I hope you have a good Christmas and a happy New yeah, Year. You too. If- if you've got a quick message, I'm going to record this message, Jillian. Have you got a message to everyone watching in terms of having a happy Christmas and a good New Year?
0: I would just say that I know things are a bit pear-shaped this year, but I think just be fa- thankful for the positives and be thankful for your health and just have a nice time and just sod COVID.
1: Very <laughs> enough. That's great. Thank thank you very much for joining me, Jillian. and I'll keep in touch. And I hope you have a great Christmas, great New Year. You too. And I- Hopefully you'll do your own live at some point in the future as well.
0: Well, I'm doing a live tomorrow night on the CMAC Facebook page, so we'll see how that
1: goes. Okay, good (laughs) luck, good luck with it. I'm sure you'll be fine, but uh, enjoy yourself and have a great time. Okay, bye, then. Bye. See ya. Bye. Bye.